Watch it, that'd be great. All right. We're, uh, we're going to pick up. This is our seventh session on feasts from the Bible, but we're going to be on session three, the, the worksheet for session three, talking about Rosh Hashanah, which I can't ever say correctly. But it's Rosh, say that's close to it. Rosh Hashanah. So, um, <laughs> He doesn't say it right either. He no. said Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. The one that starts with an R. That's what we're going to do. Uh, so well, let's go ahead um, and I, let's sing the, uh, the hymn that we have there uh, at the first part of that page. Come to Calvary's holy mountain. Come to Calvary's holy mountain, sinners ruined by the fall. Here a pure and healing fountain flows for you, for me, for all. In a full perpetual time, open when our Savior
Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, we are we left off with day three, uh, which is the third page there. Day three with Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. We had just been reading a little bit from Numbers before that, which is great. Um, I had just been reading Numbers on my own as well. And in Numbers, you have the people spying out the land and then being driven back into the wilderness. And God says, um, the reason this is happening is because ten times I tested you and you complained and groaned and moaned against me. Which is really ironic because how many times did God test the Egyptians with plagues? Ten times. <laughs> and so you have them, uh, the Egyptians don't believe after those ten plagues, and in the same way in the wilderness they're wandering, the people of Israel don't believe. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We have Exodus chapter 32, which is one of those ten times. And um, we, he, we see here in Exodus 32 um, a big issue that the children of Israel have. Um, well, let's just read it. I, I'm sure you remember it from, uh, at least I do, from Charlton Heston, yeah. right? The Ten Commandments. It's kind of the way the movie ends. Um, Exodus 32. Let's go ahead and read the whole chapter here. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are on in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day, the Lord most firmly and sacrificed firm offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat, drink, and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people who you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. I may make a great nation for most people. 
why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did you bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land. I promise them that it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain two tablets of the testimony in his hand. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory, it is not the sound of defeat, it is the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the captain dancing, Moses' anger burned high, and threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you and what led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Were they us as from this moment. For, for they said to me, Us God, who shall go for us as to Moses and Aaron Christ of Abraham of Egypt, we do not know what has become of the people. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and now it came in the sack. And when Moses saw that the people had and he said to them thus says the Lord God of Israel put your sword on your side each of you and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his company, companion and his neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now, go, lead the people to the plains 
place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord struck the people with the plague because of what they did, and with the calf, Aaron, and the name. All right. <laughs> Quite the text, isn't it? Uh, and just to put it in context, just a little while before this, what had these people done? They had been slaves in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, the wall of water on each side. And they saw the Lord lead them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They had seen as the Lord put these plagues upon the people of Egypt. And they had seen before this thunder and lightning and smoke covering the cloud, or a cloud covering the uh, Mount Sinai. All these things they have seen, and yet still, because they're sinful people like you and me, what are they quick to do? Rebel. Turn to their own ways. And we're going to talk about these things and probably get ahead of myself. Even uh, Aaron, the first high priest, does so, right? And even, I love that when, uh, when Moses comes down and says, what did you do? And what's he say? He's playing the other Yeah, these guys did it. <laughs> and then they gave me all their gold rings and stuff, and I threw them in the fire and out popped a calf. <laughs> right? And is that really what happened? No, he's, he's self-justifying, um, which is great too. I mean, it's not great. Don't, I don't recommend it. But how does Moses talk to God about it here? He says... Um, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, this is verse 32, please blot me out of your book that you have written. What book is that? The book of life. life. In other words, Moses says, let me take their place, which is kind of interesting because um, that's what Christ is going to do ultimately. So let's talk about it as the questions have it laid out instead of just uh, Pastor Moline telling you my thoughts. Um, question 9. God's anger was just. It was right. It was, it was good. It was salutary. The people deserved punishment for their stiff-necked rebellion and unbelief. The making of the golden calf, a god in their own image, if you will. What transfer of promises does God threaten in verse 10? Yeah. Yeah. So we have we can read it here quick. It says Genesis twelve two. Quick turn there. Genesis twelve two. This is the call of Abraham, Abram at that time from uh, from his hometown of Haran. Um, verse two. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I know it says to stop there. Uh, it goes on and says, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
that's verse 3, which I think we have to take with verse 2. Okay? So we have this people that God has rescued who are descended, all of them, from Abraham, who God has made this promise to that I'm going to give you this land, you're going to have a lot of offspring, and in your offspring all the families of the entire world are going to be blessed. And after the people make the golden calf, God says to Moses, well Moses, I can just blot that people out and give the promise to you, and you'll carry the promise. Your descendants will inherit the land. Your descendants will be the one the Savior's uh, born into, and all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. Um, so he's saying he's going to consume all these folks that were in on this. That's funny. And that's why none of them make it across the Jordan? Well, there's, the reason they don't make it across the Jordan is later. This is important. This is God says to Moses, the promise can pass to you, and I'll get rid of the rest of these folks. Now, the, the next question on our sheet is saying, why is God saying this? What's God really doing? The, uh, the question is... He's taking away a great nation. Well, that's what he's threatening, right? Yes. Um, in what way do these words of God indicate that he is putting Moses to the test? Does... Maybe... Maybe I'm jumping too far too fast. Does God care about the people of Israel? Yes. yes. How do you know? Because he's brought them his heart. He brought them, did all these things in Egypt. He brought them out. And he's given this promise to them throughout all these generations. We're 400 years after Abraham. Right? Uh, promise. You're going to receive this land. You're going to be my people. The Savior is going to be born in you. And now he's testing Moses. Basically saying, I'll make this nation from you. Forget Jacob and everybody else. And what's God doing by saying it? And, and tempting Moses to say, yeah, I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good to me, God. Yeah, let's do wipe this 600,000 men plus women and children out. Is that what God really wants to do? No. And yet, he's testing Moses by this. And does Moses make the good confession? Moses says, if, if you do that, God, then you have forgotten the promise that you've made to Abraham, this is verse 13, Isaac, and Jacob, to whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your offspring, and the land that I've promised to give to your offspring, they will inherit it forever. You made this promise to them, God. Don't you think you should keep it? Is God's intention to keep it? Does God make promises he doesn't keep? No. no. This is great, and this is what we should do as Christians. 
Moses reminds God of his promises. You promised to do this, God. God loves that kind of thing because what's he know then? That Moses listened to those promises and believed them. Right? You do this, I, I think I used this example a couple weeks ago. You do this with your kids. Right? So, today's Thursday, which is cleaning day at the Moline house. And so, we have to, we usually clean up the, the basement where the toys are. We try to do it every day. But on Thursday, we have to do it extra good so we don't vacuum up Legos and things like that. Right, Gabe? Okay, so, before lunch, Elizabeth says to Gabe, Gabe, you need to get the basement cleaned up so that and, and, uh, if you do it this fast, you'll get Reese's Pieces as a reward. And then she says what to him? What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> and then Gabe says, clean up the basement and get Reese's Pieces. And why does that make Elizabeth happy? Because she knows he was listening. Now, it doesn't always go that well, right? Sometimes you say, go clean up the basement, and then you say, what did I say? And the kid says, I don't know. Right? Maybe that's just my kids. It was no promise of the Lord. Well, I mean, I remember doing that to my parents all the time, right? Did you get your room cleaned up, Adam? I don't know. Right? When you speak the words back, the parent knows the person listened. When Moses says, this is what you promised God, God knows that Moses has listened. And that Moses is not in this for himself, but rather he's here as a servant of God. Okay. Um, we kind of have answered question 11. Let's say it again. The question is, what three reasons in verses 11 through 13 does Moses give to God for to forestall the destruction of the people? So let's look at this more in depth here. Three reasons. Verse 11, what's he say? And what's he say? The anger is directed to who? Just regular people? No, the your, people. your people. These are your people, God. Okay, he's reminding him who these people are. God already knows, but he's reminding him. Okay, how about verse 12? What's the next reason? is at stake. What are the Egyptians going to say if God led the people out into the wilderness and then killed them all? Some God. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad that the Israelite God is not my God if that's what he does. 
Okay, uh, how about, let's see, the next verse, verse 13, what's it say? And this is the one we talked about a little bit already. The promise. The promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which includes the promise of Jesus. God, Moses says these three reasons, and the last one's the most important one. These three reasons, God, is why you should not kill these people. All right, verse 12, or question 12. What does the intercession of Moses for the people tell us about God and his words of promise to us? We have two other Bible passages to read. One from 1 Kings chapter 8. And one from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 56 and 57. Now, 
Paul writes those words about 2,000 years ago. Almost exactly in a few years, right? What's still true? Just for us. Yeah, God is still keeping his promises. And we could really, the Bible study doesn't do this, but we could trace that same promise of Jesus, the Savior, all the way back to the very, very beginning. Genesis 3, 14, when God makes the promise to Satan that the offspring of Eve is going to crush his head, even as his heel is pierced, which is not really about Cain or Abel or Seth, but it's about Jesus. Okay? So that promise, always since sin began, God has been giving and keeping that Jesus would be the Savior and he keeps on keeping all the other promises that he makes as well. All right. Questions? Number 13. Why is our mediator, Jesus Christ, able to intercede for us? We have Isaiah 53, which we'll focus on here in a couple weeks. And uh, uh, I think we were reading quite a bit of this section during our midweek, but it's also Holy Week. We read this a lot. Isaiah 53, 4, and Hebrews 7, 25. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Okay. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. Again, Jesus, and, and specifically the work of the cross, which is why we're focusing on it in this time of the church year. Um, and to put it in perspective again, Isaiah is writing these words a little over 700 years before Jesus is even born. Again, in Isaiah, through Isaiah, God is promising Jesus is the Savior. All right, and then Hebrews uh, 7.25. Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Okay. So, the question is, why is our mediator, Jesus Christ, able to intercede for us according to those two passages? Okay. And, and what attributes does God have that are for us in that regard? He's fulfilling the prophecy for one thing, right? Fulfilling the prophecy? Yeah. How long is he going to be doing that? Forever. How long is God going to be alive? Forever. Forever. That's good news, right? If um, 
if Ken is my intercessor before God. Okay? So Ken, every time I get in trouble, he's going to talk to God for me. That's really nice, but what's the issue? Ken's not going to live forever, right, Ken? Uh, hope not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there'll be a time, unless I go first, where Ken will no longer be able to do that. But Jesus, what has already happened? Risen. He's died and risen. And how long is he going to be arisen for? Forever. And not only did he rise from the dead, but he also ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And what's he doing there? He is waiting for us. Yep, he's getting ready to come back and judge the living and the dead. What's a person who sits at the right hand do? When you have a king... The king sits in his throne, but he's got the lower chair right next to him. And the guy who sits there, what's he do? He intercedes. He, he whispers up and he says, uh, yeah, this is uh, Pastor Moline, who serves in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he paid his taxes this year. And then the king can look good and say, well done, Pastor Moline, you paid your taxes this year. But Jesus isn't concerned about taxes. What's he saying? You've been faithful and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Right. This is Barb, and Barb is covered by my blood. And so she is your child, and she believes the word, and she gets to live with you forever. Don't hold her sin against her. And Jesus keeps on doing that for us all the way until the very end, at which point he comes back and judges the world, like we've talked about, and that's no longer necessary because then we're in the kingdom forever. He's interceding for us in that way. And, and just to make one more little bit there, I kind of hinted at it, what's the thing that he's telling God about, that's the reason our sin is forgiven. He already took our sins and died for us. My blood atones for their sin. Okay? He's interceding in that way. So, He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he lives to make intercession for them. As it says in Isaiah 53, by being stricken, smitten, and afflicted in our place. Or as it says a little later in Isaiah, by his wounds we are healed. Okay. Um, it's, it's an old classic. I don't think many read it anymore. In a sense, it's like in uh, A Tale of Two Cities, where the one guy takes the place of the other one in prison and gets guillotined in the French Revolution in place of the other guy. 
and Jesus is the one who dies then so that we get to live. The great swap, the exchange. He intercedes and takes our place. All right, am I making sense? <coughs> Questions on day three. This swap idea, I think, I see it in all kinds of literature now that I look back. I mean, uh, I, I think Dickens must have been a pretty religious fellow, well schooled in scripture, huh? Because uh, even his uh, Christmas Carol is steeped in biblical references. And, yep. Um, and whether it's because he is a Christian and believes the ideas, because I just don't know enough about Dickens, or the society that he lived in was much more blatantly Christian than the society we're in now. Is that fair to say? <laughs> our, our society's drifting away from that anchor, um, whereas the Victorian society, that was very central to it. All right. It's hard to read the tale of two cities and not think that Dickens is a Christian, but I just don't know enough about him. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. I don't know if we remember where we left off reading. Oh, perfect. Genesis 19, or sorry, Genesis 22, 1 through 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. He said, take your, he said, take your son, your only son, and I will be loved and go to the land of Moriah, and I will be in heaven where my heart is, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and his two of his young women with him, and his son, I am. Do not lay your hand on the 
boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up and there, in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to him, called to him, called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the uh, sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. All right. This is, I hope, a familiar text. And as it says in question 14, it's called the Akedah, which is read, uh, we just read it, and it's also read on the celebration of Rosh Hashanah. I think I said it right. Uh, and uh, the, the the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, there I did it that time, <laughs> get cocky. Uh, the celebration involved a liturgy where you read lots of Bible accounts and you'd read it and then you'd celebrate by blowing the horn that the vicar played the video of last time, right? And so you're celebrating that. You're celebrating God creating Adam and Eve and you're celebrating the start of the... Um, civil calendar not the religious calendar but the civil calendar by reading all these things God has done in the past and blowing your shofar your, your tooting your horn there okay so they would read this particular passage as a reminder of God's faithfulness how did Abraham respond to God's command to sacrifice your only son Isaac whom you love. You did it. It's okay. Yeah. Now, what's the interesting thing that um, well, let's, let's read 15 first, then we'll ask. As you read this text, put yourself in Abraham's place and experience the severity of the test God laid on him. What do you make of the remark in verse 5 and the question and answer in verses 7 and 8 regarding Abraham's faith. So what's it say in verse 5? What's he say about the boy? The boy's going to go with me. We're going to go over there and worship. And then... Both of us are going to come back. He and I 
are going to come back. Now, what's interesting about that statement? That's one possibility that God's going to provide a substitute. What's the other one? Well, when I do it, what can God do? Bring him back to life. Right? He's got that in his mind. And why does he think that? Is this just some random thing? Like, I mean, Ella would be a little alarmed if uh, I said, I'm going to sacrifice you, but it's okay. God will bring it back, bring you back to life. Because what don't I have? I don't have a promise from God that says, your son, Isaac, born of your wife, Sarah, is going to be the one through whom the promise of a Savior is going to be fulfilled. But God has said that directly to Abraham about Isaac. So Abraham knows even when he sacrifices Isaac, should he do it, what's God going to do? Yeah, yeah, and let's just say it this way. Keep his promise that in Isaac, his son Isaac, born of Sarah, the promise is going to be kept of Jesus. Abraham doesn't understand how. He still goes to do it. But those words, the boy and I are going to come back, are a confession that he believes God's promise. All right, what's the other two verses? Seven and eight. And this is Isaac asking. Uh, Dad, yes, my son, we have fire, we have wood. What is the thing that we're going to sacrifice? And what's Abraham say? He says that God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. God himself will provide the lamb. Now, we know that that's the case. The ram was caught by its horns in the thicket. But what's the real fulfillment of these words from Abraham? Not that that wasn't, but the ultimate fulfillment, maybe, is the way to say it. Who's the lamb Jesus. that God provides? Jesus. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now. This particular text in Genesis uh, chapter 22 teaches about Jesus all over the place. First off, do you know where they are that this happens? I heard whispering. It's a mountain. Tradition holds it's Mount Moriah in Jerusalem where Solomon builds the temple where the Temple Mount still is, where all the rest of the sacrifices later on came, and only a few hundred yards from where Jesus is crucified. And it's likely that Jesus came over the same hill that Abraham and Isaac came to sacrifice Isaac. How does Isaac, uh, how do Abraham and Isaac travel there? He leaves his men along with the... How does Jesus get to Jerusalem? 
Okay. Um, how does Jesus cross get out to Golgotha? Jesus carries it. How does the wood for this sacrifice get to the place? Isaac carries it. Um, Abraham is well over 100 years old, and Isaac is like 14. Okay? Um, I don't mean this to sound terrible, but if there was a fight, let's hope there's not, between a 110-year-old person and a 14-year-old, Generally speaking, who's going to win? 14-year-old. And yet, the 14-year-old gets tied up and placed on the wood to be sacrificed, which tells us what? Isaac was willing. Now, the same thing. If Jesus wanted to, could he have gotten down from the cross? Yes. But what is he? He's willing to die in our place. I mean, we could go, there's more and more and more of these things we could go through. All of these things are teaching us to look forward to Jesus. Okay? And we kind of answered question 16 already because I get too excited talking about this text. Um, question 16 says what? Abraham is an old man. Isaac is a strong young man. How was Abraham able to bind Isaac and place him on the altar? Isaac is willing, obedient, listens to his father. And let's just take this one step further and say, Abraham has faith in God's word. What's Isaac's faith? Yeah, well, faith in his father, and also I think Isaac is, is a Christian too. He believes God exists and trusts him also. I don't think we read Hebrews 11. Let's do that real quick. Hebrews eleven nineteen. These words, this whole chapter, Hebrews 11, goes, goes through it all. And I think before you read the Old Testament, you should read Hebrews 11, which tells us what you should look for when you read the Old Testament. But Hebrews 11, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Right. This is great because this chapter, almost every sentence begins by faith. This Old Testament person did this. Abraham had faith. Isaac had faith. That's how they're able to do this thing that God asks them to do. They trust God's word. All right. Question 17. Like I said, we jumped ahead a little bit. How does this event open up the meaning of what happened in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross? Okay, it says look for parables, para parables, parallels, uh, as you read John 1, 29, 
Romans, sorry, John 3.16, Romans 8, 31 through 35. So let's start with John 1, 29, which we've already, we've already heard. Let's read it again. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the man of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Alright, and John 3.16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Romans 8, 31 and 35. same way he provides Jesus. Okay? Um, any other parallels that you can think of that we haven't talked about already? Well, I guess God provided his son and, and Abraham said to his son, God will provide. So that was a prophecy that he would provide for us. And so yeah. he gave us his son. I guess that's a fair word. It's a good sermon, isn't it? Yeah. The Lord will provide, son. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's do question 18, and then we're, we're out of time here. Abraham and Isaac trusted God so much, they knew that whatever God asked them to do, it would be okay. 
But I think that's kind of the understatement of the year, right? <laughs> um, has God ever asked you to do anything that you didn't want to do but did anyways? That's kind of a, a weird way to ask the question, right? But are there things that God would like you to do that maybe you don't like? I don't want you to think that God like is talking to you in your dreams or something. Okay? It's possible, but how does God speak to you? In the Word. In the Word. The Bible. Are there things in the Bible that God says that maybe you don't like? Yes. Sometimes, right? Um, you um, remember, let's see, honor your father and mother. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not anger or despise our parents and other authorities. And yet, I really like to drive my truck a few miles an hour faster than the speed limit. Right? Uh, and I really like to drive my truck through the light if it's yellow. Not by hitting the brake and slowing down, but by pushing the gas and speeding up. God's Word says I should obey the authorities. I don't always like that, but is it beneficial for me to do that? Yes. Uh, does it benefit me in my safety? Yes. It means that I don't have any speeding tickets. Right? Um, or well, red light tickets. Or the fourth commandment says that it's a promise in the fourth commandment that if you obey your parents and love your parents and authorities, you, you, will, you will have a good life. And, and it's a fulfilled promise, right? Because the authorities say, Barb, you should not murder anyone. And because you've listened, what does it mean? You're free to come here to Bible study because there's no bars outside your bedroom, right? I know that's kind of a silly example, and I'm not making light of it, but that's the reality. By listening to God's Word and hearing it, even in those law matters like the fourth commandment, it's a blessing to us. How about other things God says? Like, um, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God gives that word. Are there benefits to that? Yes. Is it always easy to put up with your spouse? <laughs> okay? Um... Sometimes it's a challenge. Is there still a blessing with it? Some, yes, right? Um, how about God's word that says, um, take eat, this is my body, take drink, this is my blood. Do we always like that word? Do we always think it's, do we struggle with it sometimes? And yet is there a blessing that's given in that word by, that's the way God talks to us in his word and in that word, he bestows his blessings and his gifts. And that's always good for us in the end. Pastor. Yep. How does Abraham and Isaac story fit in with feasts? Bible feasts. I don't have that connection. Yeah. Well, the feast. Rosh Hashanah is 
the feast where you begin the civil year. It's the feast at which the reign of the kings was measured and marked. And these scripture passages that we've read are ones that are read at the feast. But the whole idea with the beginning of the civil year is this, and this is the, the reason these texts are read. When you're going throughout the next year, what do you know God is going to do for you? Provide. Provide and keep his promises. That's the whole idea of Rosh Hashanah, that thing. <laughs> and that's then why Vicar told you we call it the Feast of Trumpets. Why are you blowing your trumpet? When you blow a trumpet, is it because you're happy or you're sad, usually? <laughs> right? You're celebrating something. Right? We're happy. We're excited. The reason you're blowing your trumpet, your shofar, is because you know God is keeping his promises. And you have all these examples in Scripture where God is keeping his promises and pouring out his blessings upon you in his word. Thank you. Is that kind of... It kind of gets a little bit lost in the Bible study, but that's the idea. Yeah. Now, this is a Jewish holiday. Yes. And if the Jewish, Jewish people do not believe in Jesus necessarily, <laughs> yeah. how can they tie that? Well, they can't really tie Jesus into it. They're still waiting for their Yeah. That's the hard bit for them in this feast. Yeah. Um, for us, we say, oh yeah. yeah, everything's fulfilled. God did it all. Fantastic. We have no more waiting to see what he's going to do. I mean, in a sense, we're waiting for the end of the world, but that's not really that terrifying, right? Because when he comes back, he's going to take us to heaven. Um, that's good news. For them, the promises are not fulfilled because they reject Jesus. And so... For them, they're still, look, Look, God kept his promises in the past. Hopefully, he's going to do it for us. And that's the, the really sad part, especially Isaiah 53, uh, Genesis, uh, the, the different places we read there. We have the fulfillment. We already understand it completely. They reject all that, <laughs> which is a terribly, terribly sad thing. So is it basically they don't believe in it? They do not believe in the New Testament at all. But they would they would say, historically speaking, there was a guy named Jesus who was just a heretic who died and did not rise. And they probably wouldn't have a problem with the reality that there was a guy named St. Paul who preached Jesus, but they would never see Jesus as God in the flesh. They would never see him as the Messiah. They would never accept the Trinity or Him as Savior. And so in that way, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. When I was a kid growing up in Chicago, our church was across the street from a Jewish temple. And during Rosh Hashanah, they would put like fruit and vegetables out. And others. I think that's what they get from it, is that God will provide for them. Because they had like a, what do you call that? Yeah, with, okay. with vegetables and fruit and stuff like that out in front of the temple okay. for that holiday. God keeps his promise, and that's the thing that they're mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Again, even that, what's missing? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, which is hopefully the thing that we never miss, that we're always looking for and trusting in. So, all right, uh, should we close the Lord's Prayer? We're a minute or two over here, so let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Um, looking long term, on Monday, Thursday, we will not 